Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aidan Byrne. My guest is Elsie Dickerson. She's the CEO and co-founder of a pharmaceutical company which has launched products now available in thousands of pharmacies and retail stores across America. And Elsie has a most notable and incredible backstory. She started her early life as a dyslexic child who could barely read in front of her class. I was so ashamed and embarrassed of my dyslexia that I never really talked about it until I read one of Richard Branson's books just on how he uh, developed his empire and his businesses. And, and he openly shared about what it was like to be a dyslexic. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne, and I hope you're all doing very well in this era of COVID-19. You won't want to miss my interview coming up in a wee moment with Elsie Dickerson, an American success story who shows what determination and grit can achieve. She has lots to talk about and weighs in on the role of Big Pharma in America. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Elsie Dickerson. She's the CEO and co-founder of a pharmaceutical company which has launched products now available in thousands of pharmacies and retail stores across America. And she has a most notable and incredible backstory. She started her early life as a dyslexic child. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Elise, it's great to have you on my show. I want to begin at your early childhood. You had some unique challenges. There were moments of emotional pain, I would imagine, and you were branded as hopelessly below average by your teachers. Yes, indeed, um, and great to be here. Um, so in really starting in the first grade, um, it was clear that I was not like all the other kids in the classroom, and um, I had trouble reading. And as the words got longer and more difficult, um, I literally could not read. And so in about the third grade, um, I was tested. I was in a public school system at the time and tested by experts. This was late 70s, early 80s. And they came back with the the realization that, well, she's just below average and you just shouldn't expect a whole lot from her academically in the future. 
luckily, I had parents that uh, didn't believe this. And they took me to more experts that were outside of the school system and had me tested. And I was finally diagnosed with dyslexia. Wow. And were there others in your class or in your school system you suspected might have also had dyslexia or were you aware of anything like that going on? Because many kids in recent history were overlooked and had dyslexia and didn't succeed as you succeeded. And we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. So it was not, you know, this was quite a while ago and and there just wasn't a lot of literature or understanding of what dyslexia was. It was still sort of an evolving diagnosis. And so, no, I didn't know any other children um, that were diagnosed with dyslexia. And so it was very isolating um, and very scary as a child because you're told this, but you're not, not really told what that means for you long term. Uh, you just know that you have, quote unquote, a disability. Well, you have good company. I'm just looking at a list of celebrities and famous people. And maybe there are ones who are not so famous who have been diagnosed with dyslexia. Poppy Goldberg, Steven Spielberg, Tim Tebow, Henry Winkler. He had dyslexia and math issues. That's an interesting combination. Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, and Charles Schwab. Yes. Uh, and another one, Richard Branson. Oh, wow. How, what, so what, what is dyslexia in common then with success? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can talk specifically for me. Um, and I can tell you, I really, I was so ashamed and embarrassed um, of my dyslexia that I never really talked about it until I read one of Richard Branson's books, um, just on how he uh, developed his empire and his businesses. And and he openly shared about what it was like to be a dyslexic. And I finally found sort of a kindred spirit out there in him. And I decided to start speaking more publicly about it um, because it's sort of one of these things in the shadows that we shouldn't be embarrassed about now that we know so much more about it. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, right. So, so, so that listeners get this uh, right away. You're the CEO of your own company, so you are successful. But you know, in a nutshell, if that's possible, what is dyslexia? So, dyslexia. So, there's a misconception that dyslexia is about reversing letters or numbers. Um, you often hear people throw that out, like, "Oh, so you just reverse your R's or you know, misplace uh, letters in the word." And that's actually not what dyslexia is at all. Um, it's a reading fluency issue. And when you think of reading fluency, it's really made up of um, three things. It's made up of the pace with which you read, um, the sounding out of the words. So think of like decoding words to sound them out and then um, reading comprehension. So all three of those things make up reading fluency and a dyslexic um, has a really difficult time with all three of those. Um, so I'll give you a very simple example. Um, the word cat, you know, for most people, um, they see the word cat. They don't really think about the fact that it's three letters. They all make different sounds. K -at, and that all has to be put together to make the word say cat. For a dyslexic, um, the brain has a really difficult time sounding out each one of those sounds and then putting it together. 
And so as a child trying to read, um, most normal children, a cat would be considered a sight word. They've just memorized it. They know what it means. They know how to say it, spell it. For a dyslexic, even the word cat can be very difficult to um, pronounce, put together, and understand the meaning. There's a whole process of self-improvement, and then you get through that eventually, and you are then in the same terrain as, quote-unquote, normal kids and adults. Yeah, so there's been a lot of research done um, over the last really 20 years, and it's so cool because they're doing now brain imaging to show a dyslexic brain um, before what I would call intervention, um, and then what happens to the brain after intervention. And so for me, for example, um, third, fourth, and fifth grade, I worked three mornings a week before school with a uh, tutor who essentially taught me how to um, sound out words, put them together, and slowly understand the meaning of the words. So a lot of times people talk about this in terms of phonics. Um, for a dyslexic, phonics are you know just incredibly difficult to grasp and learn. But once the brain, um, with the, re the repetition of working over and over and over, the brain can actually grow and expand in the areas it was deficient mm -hmm. in. And they're showing this now in brain imaging. And um, it, it really shows how malleable our brains are, um, no matter the age, and that these quote unquote disabilities can be, um, I wouldn't say reversed, I'll always be a dyslexic, but they can be uh, worked through. I have read that dyslexics have special gifts, talents, abilities that others in the population don't have. They some kind of depth of perception or they have an intuition or, or, or a woe factor. What is that? So again, I, you know, there's big generalizations out there. I can speak for myself. Um, and I think we see it in a lot of these other uh, famous people that you, you noted um, earlier in the conversation. I have an ability to see the big picture. Um, whereas a lot of people don't. And so that can come in all sorts of forms, whether it's um, like strate strategically looking at a, a whole market to understand where potential opportunities are. Um, I don't get stuck in the little minutia. I can see the big picture. I also have, and this came out in some aptitude testing I had done, um, very high visual um, spatial perception. Um, so Things like architecture, design, um, those things come very easily um, to to my brain, whereas they might not with um, someone without dyslexia. You were able to apply all that, it looks to me, in your career. And you had a good time going through college. You were also a, a great athlete. And then you studied and went into the pharmaceutical industry. So take us through that journey. Yeah. So I'll say, and I, when I talk to other parents that have dyslexic children now, I do like to share that um, it's really important to find something that the child can excel in while they're trying to work through the academic side of dyslexia. Um, so for me, that was sports. And luckily, I was just a naturally talented athlete, but I also had really great coaches that um, 
from a young age, helped me develop my interpersonal skills and my leadership skills so that later in life, um, once I had, you know, uh, come through the academic side successfully, I was able to um, sort of pair all that together to make me a, more of a f- well-rounded person. Um, but I, I went to college when I when I got to the University of Notre Dame. I was too scared and intimidated to go into engineering or pre-med or anything like that. So I chose graphic design and um, excelled there. And then worked for a couple years in the fashion industry and then decided I needed to go back to business school. And I can say that business school was the first time I ever felt like I maybe was a little bit smart. Um, And I don't, when you're dyslexic, often most of your years you feel dumb. Um, And so it finally was a time I realized, you know, I'm I'm actually on par with the rest of these students here and and I can um, compete with them academically. Um, so, but it took me into my twenties, you know, to get to that point, um, then graduated and, and went pretty quickly into the pharmaceutical industry and spent 13 years at a very large pharmaceutical company, uh, traveling the world, launching brands, developing products. And then in 2015, I started my own company. Tell us more about that company. Yeah, so uh, it's called Eosera Inc. And we are focused on bringing ear care products uh, to the market. And so we we started by just really spending time talking to doctors, trying to understand what were some unmet medical needs. And turns out that there were quite a few ear inflictions that um, there just weren't good remedies for on the market. So we started with our first product, Earwax MD, uh, which dissolves earwax uh, in about 15 minutes. And then we moved on to um, create products for pain and itch and ear irrigation. Um, So now we have a line of about seven products um, that are sold nationwide in the U.S. And it's been pretty exciting. Your company is based in Fort Worth, Texas. That's where you grew up. Um, What has it been like doing business during COVID-19? Has it impacted your processes and how? It has. So in the very beginning, uh, last March, April, we we source a lot of our componentry out of China. Uh, so bottles and caps and that kind of thing. Uh, we saw almost a complete standstill uh, in deliveries. Uh, ships weren't weren't leaving ports and, and things were getting stuck in ports if they did make it to the U.S. So that was the initial slowdown. Um, and then we, uh, because we manufacture our own products, we were allowed to stay open, but we had to quickly put into place COVID um, restrictions. So immediately face masks were worn by everyone. And we already wore gloves and and gowns and, you know, had very stringent cleaning requirements because of the type of uh, products that we make. Um, But we had to start scheduling breaks and scheduling um, when people would come into the office or the manufacturing floor and when they'd leave. We are in about 14,000 stores nationwide, um, and we're continuing to expand every day. Um, And uh, we're we're small but mighty and, uh, and, and growing. Right. So if I go into one of the stores selling your products, what do I look? How is it labeled? What do I look for? Yeah, so um, any CVS store pretty much has all of our products: um, Earwax MD, Ear Itch MD, uh, the Wax Blaster MD. We're all 
it's all in the ear care section, which the ear care section is very small in most stores. So we have a very nice uh, shelf presence uh, and we're easy to find. So this has sort of been the culmination of a, a long journey from childhood where you had that dyslexia and many teachers didn't think you would succeed and you did succeed to fight all the odds. And where does the journey go next? Are you going to continue growing your business? Yes. So we're um, now entering the nasal category. Um, So that's sort of a new venture. And then as we expand into more retailers, we're uh, continually increasing the size of our, you know, manufacturing team and and our space. Um, So I'm, I'm having a, just a blast yeah. Um, with the company right now. So the goal is to continue to build it until until um, it's no longer interesting, I guess, to me. <laughs> Any long-term objectives you can share with us? I don't. I mean, I, I often, I don't know. I don't know what is next for me. And I think um, part of that is just the journey, natural journey of life. I never would have imagined myself here. Um, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have imagined myself here. So um, I like to keep an open mind and, and I'm just kind of along for the, the ride. And when I'm done with this company, we'll, we'll see what's next. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. My guest is Elsie Dickerson. She's the CEO and co-founder of a pharmaceutical company which has launched products now available in thousands of pharmacies and retail stores across America. And she has a most notable and incredible backstory. She started her early life as a dyslexic child. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Great to listen to your comment. You see the big picture. That, that's wonderful because you listen to pundits and talking heads on TV. There's a lot of the little picture gets discussed all the time. They're batting around statistics and maybe whether they're talking about street riots or income inequality. People don't step back and often see the big picture of what's going on. So you presumably see the big picture in your company, you see where you're going with your products and where you can be on the national and global stage. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I like to focus, um, you know, because in entrepreneurship and really in business or, you know, most of our daily life, we're, we're going to have failures. Um, one thing dyslexia has given me is, a, is an incredible ability to be resilient and bounce back. Uh, and, and, and being focused on the big picture makes that even easier. Why, why does it give you that resilience? Is it because you got you had so many hard knocks or that's the training you got along the way? Yeah, I think um, when you're told over and over that you can't do something um, and you just develop this internal drive that I'm, I'm going to show you mm. <laughs> that I can do something. And, and yeah. There is something to that, I'm sure, because Charles Schwab, who founded Charles Schwab, the big uh, brokerage firm online, he has dyslexia, and I read his life story that he was uh, a very shy, he's still sort of a shyish individual, and that might surprise some people, but he succeeded. And again, I just wondered maybe that's what was going on. He wanted to, that was drive motivating. I don't know about Richard Branson. He strikes me as being a, a real extrovert. Maybe he had something to prove as well. I think I think all of us do in some way or another. 
Is there a dyslexic association? You know, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I would imagine those informal groups or chat rooms or social yeah. media groupings. And um, So you worked uh, in Big Pharma. So that's always in the news and it's a big part of what our economy is all about in the United States. Where do you see Big Pharma in America? Is it is it doing good things? Obviously, we came up with the COVID vaccines. What else is it doing right or wrong? I mean, I think it, it does a lot right. Um, and, and of course, there are some things that I think they get wrong. Um, they are focused on solving the big problems of our age. So, you know, they're focused on the big diseases that, that affect um, large groups of population. So whether it's cancer, um, you know, or other, other big diseases like COVID, that said, often a lot of times little little things that aren't necessarily life threatening um, get left and uh, to the put to the wayside. So, for example, what we're focusing on as a company, um, these ear conditions, millions and millions of people are affected by them. But big pharma, if it's not a billion dollar opportunity, they're not going to spend the time of day on it. So, I think there, there's room, you know, to look at smaller opportunities, or maybe that just gives. Um, smaller companies the opportunity to get in and, and compete. Um, I think pricing is certainly um, something that all, all consumers should be aware of, that in the U.S., uh, pharma companies can price things higher, uh, and so they do, um, full well knowing that every other country around the world, we're going to price a product um, significantly less. So you might have a drug that retails in the U.K. for uh, $20, and that same drug may be $200 in the United States because um, of Medicare and Medicaid pricing. They're not going to push back on the pricing. They're going to pay full price. Um, so there, there's work to be done, I think, to help control the cost um, in, the, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but I think that's why a lot of people are moving to over-the-counter remedies. They're improving over time, and um, they're much more cost-effective. I mean, it's a huge industry. The United States, I read, accounts for 48% of the global pharmaceutical market. <laughs> it's a huge industry, $490 billion of revenue in 2019. It's quite amazing. Yeah, and they, um, big pharma companies, they know that most of their revenue is going to come from the United States. Um, so they're, they're focused there, and then they'll, they'll take the drugs to other companies um, after they maximize the revenue in the U.S. So if I go into a store in New York City and buy a drug, back pain or whatever, I don't have back pain, but let's pretend, I could go to the U.K., Ireland, or somewhere in Europe, buy the same drug made by the same pharmaceutical company for much less, but it would have a different brand name or something? So it's main, this is mainly playing out in the uh, prescription markets. So it's not necessarily an over-the-counter products. Um, but a prescription that would cost $200 here might cost $20, $15 to $20. Same product, often the same drug name, um, but because um, it's in another country and those countries have regulated pricing, um, the consumer will get it for far less. I mean, it sounds unethical what the big pharma is doing in the United States. Well, it's capitalism, right? It's capitalism at its, at its uh, finest. <laughs> 
depending yeah. on who's, who's, uh, who's yeah. making the money. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would qualify hardball capitalism. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with it, but it is yeah. capitalism, right? And so you can't fault them. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> what's your take? Before he left office, President Trump said his administration would prevent exorbitant raises in drug prices and possibly save Americans billions of dollars with his initiatives in relation to Big Pharma. And Big Pharma was mad as hell <laughs> with President Trump. Right? Of, cor- of course, of course. I suspect there's something to this. Some people believed Big Pharma held off on announcing the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines until after the election. Yeah, I don't know about that because they had to complete the clinical trials. Um, mm. So I you know, I, I don't know that that is, I think that's a talking point that people like to throw out to rile people up, but I'm not so sure that's accurate. Um, I think Trump was right in trying to um, control the prices of, of pharmaceuticals. We, we should, we're, we're the biggest, the, our government is the biggest purchaser of pharmaceutical products in the world, and we should be negotiating those prices. Um, and we're not. And so um, I think it was absolutely fair to say that, you know, we should be focused on that as a government. Any thoughts on the not directly related, although I suppose by some measures it certainly is, the abuse of drugs in America, the opioid Mm. addictions and all of those pharmaceuticals that are uh, maybe oversubscribed, overused and creating a kind of a a zombie nation to some degree. Yeah. I mean, look, I have friends that are addicted to opioids. It is, it's everywhere. Um, and it's tragic and I don't have an answer for it, but there's, there's so many people that, uh, could be blamed, right? It could be the doctors that are just writing prescriptions rather than getting to the root of the pain. Um, in my own research, I know, you know, back pain often isn't really back pain. It's, it's, um, mental anguish and, and anxiety that hasn't been, Uh, worked through and it manifests in the body as pain. And so doctors write a prescription rather than dealing with the the mental health of the individual. Uh, And then, you know, and then you have the drug companies that, you know, clearly were um, promoting these products to the doctors um, in an unethical way, saying that they were not uh, addictive and that they needed to keep upping the doses. And so that was completely unethical. And they knew what they were doing. They were trying to achieve more sales because that's what their end game is, right? It's it's money. I hope that's not the horrible side of capitalism. I believe in free enterprise for sure. But a lot of bizarre, weird and sad things do go on. Of course, you mentioned uh, mental health. There's been reports of terrible catastrophe in mental health during the COVID shutdowns, people being isolated. How has it worked in your own personal situation? You have two daughters, I believe. I have a son and a daughter. And then a son I, and a daughter. Yes. yes. And, a, and a husband. And, you know, luckily none of us suffer from um, mental illness, but certainly I have seen COVID weigh on all of us, just the isolation from friends and, and family and um, not having, you know, their normal routine, especially my children. And so it's something that we talk about and, and, and uh, keep top of mind, but 
it, it certainly is something concerning as a, as a nation and as a world. So if listeners want to learn more about you and your earwax product, where do they go? So our website is earcaremd.com and our company name is Eosera. That's E-O-S-E-R-A. Um, and we're happy to um, connect with anybody out there that would like to learn more about our company or, or me and, and talk about dyslexia. We, we've got to have you back again sometime and talk again about that. It's a great subject. I'm glad it's out in the open, and I'm sure you are also. It was one of those things that were back in the day there was not enough uh, knowledge about, so we're in a more enlightened time, and that's that's a good thing. I totally agree. Well, Elise, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, good luck in the business. Good luck in your career, and we'll talk again very soon. Thanks so much, John. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.